Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So when I prayed about the... The services today that we're going to have, I actually got a, a, um, a word from God that, that reminded me a lot about my, um, my time at the nursery. So, is a nursery so a clear school? Nursery school. Okay. So, while you guys were speaking about all the sweets, I just thought, okay, I might as well share it tonight as well. So, who of you know... What a centipede is. Jelaskom. Who, who doesn't know what it is? Okay, Jelaskom. This a decent put. Ne? A thousand foot. So I was, very, I was very sad when I saw what a Dyson put is in English because it broke off of my childhood memories. When I, when I saw that, it was, it was extremely sad to me. A centipede, it just doesn't sound the same. So um, while I was praying for the service tonight um, and this morning especially, a picture that God gave me was, was me, a young Henny, don't spend too much time thinking about that because I was different then. <laughs> um, a young henny playing with a, a centipede. It still feels wrong. <clears throat> still wants to say doesn't put, but I was playing with a centipede very often and, and I was so amused and um, intrigued by all of those feet. And all of those legs. And I remember laying flat on my tummy on the grass and then every now and then crawling towards it and, um, and then lying there and just seeing as it moves. And then as you can imagine, a, long, a young child, you can't, you can't leave it alone, right? Okay, it's a part. I actually spoke to someone after the service this afternoon and they said, listen, you lost me at Dyson Port because... There was one that tried to climb into my ear. And um, so it was a horrible experience for them. I just said, no, it can't be. I know a Dyson put and they would never do that. <laughs> so, um, but um, I was lying there on the floor and, and as I was noticing it walking, I crawled closer and, and as I touched it, it curls up, right? So it curls up. And then if you do it once, it takes a short while and then it starts walking again and then I can't leave it alone again and then I touch it again and then it curls up again and then it starts walking again but the more I do it the more the longer it takes for it to start moving again okay now for so I was the only one doing that um, but the word that I received especially with regards to a lot of conversations that I've had over the last few months um, is that the enemy is very crafty and skillful in poking us. In a lot the same way. So everything goes well and he knows just the nerve 
to get just the nerve just to press on. And the moment you press on that nerve, everything just closes up. And, and there's a complacency and a passivity that, that goes along with that. But also uh, in, in, in human terms, and I would never say this to a decent word, but for us here, a sense of a hardness of heart. Closed off. So while I was preparing this sermon, I had that experience of me closing off every now and then. And I had to, I had to frequently open myself up. And I, and I want to encourage you tonight, if, if you have this experience tonight of something in your life, just skillfully and crafty, busy, poking on you every time you start moving. Let's just pray about that for a moment. Lord, we know exactly what you are speaking about. And if we are honest tonight, Lord, we can, we can sense us closing up already just by the thought of specific things in our, in our lives that's busy poking on us. Lord, tonight in this safe space, We choose to, to not be curled up and hardened and closed off. But we open our hearts and we declare ourselves willing and open to be spoken to by you. To be healed by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So before we dive into the, into the portions of scripture that I have for tonight, I want to explain to you that, that this specific sermon that I had to pre prepare, I, I read a book about, and since the first chapter that I read, I was, I was confronted by this very vulnerable experience every now and then of me thinking I have this together and then realizing, no, I don't, and then thinking again, I have all of this together and then realizing, no, I don't. Because what we are speaking tonight is justification by faith alone. And um, if we're going we're gonna to start off now with the root scripture, but um, this is something that, that is a progressive revelation type of statement. It's, it's not the, the kind of thing that you hear once and the light goes on and, and it's finished forever and a day. It's something that, that deepens as we spend time with God, and it should deepen. It should stretch you every now and then, and if it doesn't, be sure that you are not closed off and that something didn't cause you to become passive in your spirit. We are busy with a, um, a sermon series on 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 to 4. It goes like this. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 
For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So tonight, I want us to look a bit about salvation and the concept of especially on the one side lawlessness or free grace, theology, doctrine that's been taught, and on the other side, um, the gospel, as we see in Scripture. So I want you, before we start to dive into Scripture, think about the moment in time when you decided that you would like to give over to, to Jesus. What that looked like. It, it should have been a moment in time where someone made an invitation or when you were confronted by something for the first time, praying. When we read about um, salvation, one of the major slogans or one of the major verses that stands out is justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. In terms of salvation. So by saying that statement, justification by faith alone, we already find two schools of thought. On the one hand, we find justification by faith alone, where the, the object is alone, by faith alone, meaning that's all I have to do, I just have to believe. On the other side, we see the same sentence, but we see the whole sentence, justification by faith alone, and both of these statements um, find its root in a posture of our hearts. Now, what I mean by that is, in your heart, you can immediately determine, if I say these words, what am I thinking? I'm justified by faith alone, which is a closed-off statement. Faith alone. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to say anything else. There's no outpour. There's no outflow. There's no nothing needed. On the other side, justification by faith alone towards someone. The reason why I'm laying a lot of um, focus on this is if we start off wrong, eventually it becomes scary and we'll get to that. So I want you to keep on thinking about these two schools of thought or these two theologies or doctrines or movements or whatever you want to call it. On the one hand, alone, justification by faith alone, with the focus on alone, a closed off statement. And on the other hand, justification by faith alone, but towards someone. As we read all of the Protestant leaders' faith statements, we see that they summarize the sentence like this. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. So the second part of this sentence specifically um, saving faith that is always followed by changes in a person's conduct in life. We are justified by faith alone, closed off. 
or we are justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone, which means when the real justification by faith alone happens, it has an inevitable outflow. I know for now this seems very close to each other, but let's, let's have a look at Ephesians 2 verse 8. It says, um, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If, if we understand this scripture wrong in the sense that we think all I need to do is be saved by faith, but I don't allow a justification by that same faith to happen and there's no inevitable outflow it becomes problematic, and we're going to have a look at that for a while. We see from, from Scripture often, and especially from this school of thought or from this movement in terms of only by, by faith, with no other works or, or no other inevitable outflow, we notice a posture of the heart. Listen to what he said here. Two of the main statements in, in this, what they call free grace movement, they say repentance is not in any way a condition for eternal salvation. So if we say that sentence, I'm going to say it again, I want you to get used to the, to the way of thinking of this movement. Repentance is not in any way a condition for eternal salvation. Repentance is the decision to turn from sin to avoid or bring to an end God's temporal judgment. Both of those statements has a significant focus on me, right? It has a great focus on me. The only reason why I would repent, not that I will, in this movement, is because I need temporal judgment to stop. From key summaries in Scripture, especially in Hebrews 6, verse 1 to 2, we see the true gospel being revealed. Look at this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So I just want to say it again, when we speak about a call to repentance in terms of faith and salvation, repentance is not in any way a condition for eternal salvation on this side. The only reason why we would repent is to stop God's temporal judgment to make life a bit easier. Or if we read Hebrews 6 verse 1 to 2 on this side where we repent from dead works, and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. From the Greek we find the word from that we see in the scripture. It means 
not merely a change of mind. A change of mind is one of the principles that you find in a free grace movement. You don't need to repent on this side. You just need to change your mind. You don't have to say sorry. You don't have to turn away. You don't have to turn towards someone. You just have to change your mind. This was a bad idea. I'm changing the bad idea to a good idea. Okay? Can you hear the intellect, the self-justification, the whole focus on me being the one who are justified by faith alone? Whereas this whole scripture, when we see the words repent and faith, repent from dead works, meaning all of the works that I've had is dead and I'm turning my faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hand and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Very important. This is not adding works to faith. Notice repentance and faith mentioned together. This specific scripture is a, is, is a, is a commitment of the heart to trust God. It's very important to see already, only in these few scriptures, that we see a lot of intellect happening in the free grace movement. Something that says it's all about me, my comfort, my safety, my security, especially short term. And on this side, I say I repent from dead works and I, re and I have faith towards God being justified by faith alone. Not by works, but there will be works. Not justified by. Listen to Luke 24 verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Notice those two words again. Repentance, forgiveness, faith towards Jesus. I've put here a few scriptures that you are welcome to take a picture of if you would like to go read a bit more. Obviously, if I do this with every point, we will be here until Ali doesn't put the vaches in anyway. But um, please go, go have a look at those scriptures. Um, see how many times repentance and faith are mentioned together in scripture. Still, we are justified by faith alone, but the posture of our hearts is becoming clear. The second point I would like us to speak about tonight is false assurance. Now again, some of us, I don't know, I wish that could have been a, um, a personal discussion to find out what your moment of salvation was like. The moment that you chose Jesus or the moment that you, hey, donkey Molly. You're so mooi now, I'm all anyway for you. But donkey Molly. So um, that moment in time that you were confronted by the idea or doctrine of salvation, something happened. Something very significant happened, right? For most of us that, that knows what I'm speaking about, 
There was a time that you thought you knew Jesus and that you spent time with him and that you followed him and that you prayed and that you read the Bible. And then there came a day and something changed. Now, for those of you that remember that day, you will know that although there was a lot of intellect beforehand, that specific moment was not something driven by intellect. It's not necessarily something that you understood, but it was something that changed your heart. And that's why if we, if we notice these two positions or these two um, concepts, it's very important to, to notice that on the one hand, we have a knowing about. Closed off statement, something that... that, that is about me, my comfort. And then on this side, we have justification by faith alone, but that stirs me, not from an intellectual point of view, but that stirs my heart towards God. If we miss it here, now it becomes very confusing very quickly. Many a times when, when the gospel is proclaimed, there's a question, for example, saying, um, are you a sinner in need of salvation? And, of course, at the time we would say yes, right? Do you believe that Jesus died to pay for your sin? And, obviously, we would say yes, right? Because we've heard the message. Can you hear how intellectual that is? Okay? It's something in here. So what happens next? There needs to be assurance of faith. Right? Something needs to change. Like someone convinced me I need to follow Jesus and they made this invitation. Now something needs to change. So what changes? From a free grace point of view, the person convinces you. Now that you have said it, you are saved. Now that you have, from an intellectual point of view, decided to follow Jesus, now that happens. Now normally this happens in a very emotional state. This specific way, not the real one, this specific one. Normally this happens in a very emotional place. So there's quite a hype and everything, but eventually you go home. Uh, in all the experiences that I was in, I didn't want to go home because the you know, there was an experience of God, right? There was something. It, it wasn't dead. There was something. But it was something mostly from an intellectual point of view. Now, the scary thing is as soon as you go home, you kind of know what to do, right? Because you follow this train of thought. You take your Bible. You open your Bible. And it looks like a different language, Right? Like, what's going on here? I have no idea what's, what's the Bible all about. And you decide, okay, maybe Bible is for two or three day Christians. Maybe the one day Christians should start, should start by praying. So you close your eyes and all that happens is it's darker. There's nothing else that, that's changing. Um, and then you think, okay, obviously for one day Christians, neither Bible reading nor closing your eyes or praying is for me so I will just start spending time around other Christians so you decide okay let me go to a church and all of a sudden certain questions 
doesn't make sense. And I'm going to just name a few. Okay? I wonder what is wrong with my spiritual life. Why do I not have joy? Like those. Either that was with me in that specific moment. Why does the Bible not make sense to me? Why is prayer not meaningful? Why is church necessary? Can you see the train of thought? Very intellectual. Everything needs to be reasoned. And everything needs to be proved. You know, there's a lot of um, knowledge, intellectual knowledge. In the New Testament, we, we often see warnings for churchgoers. And not warnings in terms of, I hope you are okay or whatever, warnings that you might not be saved. Scary. But like I said, please don't feel I'm talking with you. Someone has to hold the mic, okay? So if, if someone else could read my notes, I would be very open to sit and listen to this message because I'm with you, okay? I'm as confronted by this as you are tonight. But someone needs to tell the church, we need to make sure we are saved. Scary thought, right? We should be saved. We are here. <laughs> okay. James 2 verse 14 to 17. Listen to this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Purely intellectual. I decided I'm now believing. Believing what? The difference between intellectual questions, listen to this. How do I know that Jesus died for people's sin and that he will save all who believe in him. Can you hear the intellectual way of thinking? How do I know Jesus died for people's sin and that he will save all who believe in him? Instead of asking, how do I know that I personally have truly believed? Now all of a sudden a, a, a mirror is pulled up on yourself and, and you have to be fairly honest and listen how intellectual are my relationship with God how much knowledge am I leading on for assurance I'm going to read these questions again and maybe with me you might have been asking these questions how do I know Jesus died for people's sin and that he will save all who believe in him. Third person, outside me, knowledge, intellect. Instead ask, how do I know that I personally have truly believed? Listen to 1 John 2, verse 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now if, if we had a moment in which we were justified by faith alone, where we repented from our dead works, we turned from, listen carefully, not turned from as if that's the end, turned from towards him. Because any one of us can turn from anything, and we, we have. I've turned from a lot of things in my life to, to this day. There's been a lot of horrible things that I did. And I've turned away from all of it. But not every time I turn towards someone. And if we believe from an intellectual point of view. That as long as I know I made a mistake. I will not do it again. I'm leaning on the free grace principle of saying. As long as it's a bit more comfortable to me. I'm okay. I know what the right thing is to do. This reminded me of a, of a time when. Um, when I started to, to go to speak to people of, about what I went through in my life. Maybe some of you also experienced this from time to time. So you have this thing that you battle with and, um, and you take a very long time to go speak to someone about it. And then eventually when you get the courage and you work up all the what you call and you go to that person and you say, listen, I'm battling with this. And that person, he says, yo, I'm so sorry about that, man. I'm with you. I'm praying with you. Like, you're stuck. Huh? Yeah, druk dier, bouwe brug. Jy gaan okay wees. You'll be okay, right? Immediately you feel kind of a relief. And if we are not careful in moments like that, and I had an experience like this today, where I was convinced in my heart that a thought in my mind was wrong, and I just thought, no, I reject that thought. But I do not repent. I do not turn from. I do not turn towards. I am not justified. By faith. We cannot lean on what we think about. We need to see what we are busy with. Only speaking about it, only saying it, only proclaiming this is what I'm battling with is half. It's brilliant. It's a great first step. Keep on doing it. But do it towards someone that, that helps you. To turn from, to repent, and to turn towards Jesus. I put a few scriptures here. Um, again, in terms of false assurance, because I knew this can be quite something that, that we all need to maybe be confronted with in scripture rather than just someone saying it from the front, because we are so convinced, right? Every one of us at a time was so convinced that we are saved that we would have never believed anyone if they said, hey, wees versichtig. 
So I would like you to, to go look at that. I'm willing to also send you the notes if you want to. So the last point I want us to look at tonight. We've spoken about the concept of free grace as a principle, justification by faith alone, closing off myself, justification by faith alone in terms of repentance, false assurance, the fact that if I see something and convinced of something in my life that's not aligning with God, I need to repent. Repent. Yes, jammer. Turn from. Turn towards. Turn towards who? That's the last thing that we're going to discuss tonight. Trust in the person of Jesus. Something no free grace advocate ever would ask you to do. Why? Because the knowledge of him is enough. The knowledge of what he's done is enough. When, um, we're going to go through a few scriptures now. But two things that differentiate knowledge on the free grace perspective and saving faith in terms of repentance, making sure that you are not caught in false assurance, is that persuasion is deeper than knowledge. Persuasion. And persuasion has everything to do with a degree of trust in the object. So if I am persuaded by my knowledge, then I will do everything in my power to put my trust in what I know. And we see that often when we speak about basic principles in Scripture. Basic things, like those questions that we've asked, and we're going to read a few of them now again. But when the object is Jesus, and my focus is on Him, and I'm trusting in Him, then all of a sudden knowledge plays no role because it's a relationship with him that I'm after, right? The second thing that differentiates knowledge and saving faith is faith in what scripture says. The biblical faith is the saving work of Christ in the gospel. Now to end off with, I want us to look at four ways that we can trust in Jesus rather than intellectual knowledge. Now this is very important, because if we miss it here, this would be one of the reasons that if we close our eyes, we don't know who we're talking to, because we are in theory looking at our own intellect. We are in theory looking at our own way of discerning what's right and what's wrong. So if we look at Jesus, there's four ways we see in script. Well, there's a lot of ways, but four ways that I want to discuss with you tonight. The first one is coming to Jesus, which would make sense, Right? If I notice that I'm lost, I repent, I turn from, I turn towards, and I come to Jesus. John 6 verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now in the book that I read, um, they actually some brackets just to say if if a free grace um, person would have said this they would have probably said something like I am the bread of life whoever knows about me shall never hunger and whoever knows in, in, in whoever knows about me shall never thirst 
Now, it's very important to differentiate that, although that seems a bit strange to say, right? I am the bread of life. Whoever knows or thinks about me shall not hunger. It sounds weird to say it, but in some sense, we are all tempted to do that. We are all tempted to lean on our intellectual understanding about what Jesus has done, about who Jesus is, about the power he has, about his motive in saving me, which is brilliant. But if I do not turn towards him, if I do not go to him, those who come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's a few scriptures also mentioned there that you're welcome to go read. The second thing we can do is as we've turned to him, we receive him. John 1 verse 11 to 12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Welcome him. Welcome him. Take him in. The concept here in this portion of scripture is as if you are welcoming someone into your home, into your safe space, into your place of safety, into your place of security. Welcome him into your life. He gave the right to become children of God. As we welcome him, the next point is believe in your heart. Now in scripture, the heart is the center of the deepest emotions, beliefs, and convictions. Very important to receive Jesus and to believe in your heart so that all of those convictions that was once based on intellectual knowledge solely and alone can be transformed and be renewed. Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The last point for tonight is believe in a person. Believe in a person. Brilliant songs we've worshipped tonight. And you could have gone through all of that. I was so confronted again with um, something we say quite often here. The fact that as we worship, as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in the word, one person can be crying face down on the floor while another person thinks, when's the service going to end? So I can go on. Difference being, focus on a person. The moment our eyes are open and we focus on Jesus, it is nothing else than a heart matter. It's no longer an intellectual matter. It's no longer something that we need to prove with a theory. It's something that changes on our insights. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That part that says believes in him comes from two Greek words, pastia or ace, 
It means believing into. To trust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. Believe in trust with the implication of total commitment to the one who is trusted. I'm just going to read that again. This is what those two words together means. And it, it's in the New Testament in over 40 verses when it speaks about believing in Jesus. Listen to this. Believing into, not believing in, believing into. It's, it's, it's so personal that it's, it's space invasive. It's, it's, you, you literally believe into, to trust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. Believe in, trust with the implication of total commitment to the one who is trusted. Um, Sulna is going to hand out the um, communion now. And um, one interesting scripture that I, that I, um, that, that was very entertaining to me because I teach my kids this. Whenever I try to teach them a lesson, I, I encourage them to ask a question. Those of you that know me know I like to ask questions. Um, so, so I encourage them to also do that. So when I thought about this scripture and, and this, this idea of, Lord, we are warned of whether we have been saved. We are warned of whether we have leaned towards purely intellectual knowledge about someone, about someone dying on the cross, about someone giving his life for me, about someone paying the price for my sins, or someone that says, Lord, this is no longer only purely intellectual knowledge. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin. I turn towards you. I focus on you. I receive you. I believe in you and I trust in you. If still you are unsure about salvation, read with me 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. Listen to this. But God's Firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Listen to this again. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. If in any way you are unsure of your salvation, ask him. Before we get to a place at the end of our time on earth, while we think we believe, while we think we have been saved, while we think that we've turned to Jesus, but instead we've leaned towards intellectual understanding purely and mostly, let's repent, turn, focus on Him, accept Him, see Him, trust in the person of Jesus, and ask Him, Lord, do you know me? How sad would it be if somewhere, sometime we would reach a place where we think 
everything is fine. I'm busy with him. I've served him. I've served in church. I've worked as hard as I possibly could. And when I meet him, he doesn't know me. So, ask him, don't be proud. We still have time. We are here tonight. Hearing the truth is no judgment. We care. And we truly believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Not only because of what he's done, but because of what he's done for me. And it stirs me to repent. It stirs me to turn from. It stirs me to turn towards the person of Jesus Christ. Following him as a person. Lord, as we focus on you, we trust into you, Jesus. We trust into you, Jesus. While our eyes are closed, take this moment. If you've leaned on an understanding, intellectual knowledge, concept of, the idea of, the knowledge of, repent. Repent. Lord, it was more important to us to know what the Bible said about certain things, Lord, than to see you, Jesus. Repent. Turn from. Turn towards. Trust in. Focus on. Jesus. While our eyes are closed, I'm just going to end with us in prayer. You are welcome to use the communion when you are ready. Take all the time that you need. There will be no rush. There will be people to pray with you. Let's focus on them. Please don't leave. If you're not sure. Lord, thank you that we are focusing on you at this specific moment and Jesus, you are so welcome here. I thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we are with you going from this place. We pray your blessing over this week, Lord. We honor you and we thank you for the special time that we've had together. Thank you for family. Thank you for fellowship, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving me.